The NBA is on TuneIn, streaming NBA games around the globe. It's time to bring you the confrontational front court of Michael Rappaport and Kenyon Martin. Oh, sends it home. This is Two Men Weave on the NBA on TuneIn, your home for the NBA Finals. Yes, 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 yes. This is the Two Man Weave. My name is Michael Rappaport. We're coming live from NBA on TuneIn. Post All-Star Game. Post New Orleans. I'm in here with Kenyon Martin. Yes, sir. K to the dot to the mart. In case you haven't heard, the Two Man Weave is taking over NBA Talk Radio. Today's going to be a fantastic show. We got guests. We got guests on guests on guests. Antoine Walker, Corey Maggette, Will Perdue, who was there when Michael became Air Jordan. We're going to break down into everything that's going on in the NBA, everything that we hope is going on in the NBA. Boogie Cousins, Trade This, Lou Williams, Magic, every single thing. Kmart, how you feeling? I'm wonderful, brother. How you doing today, man, on this fine Wednesday? I'm doing good, man. How long did it take you to recoup? Uh, from man, New I, Orleans. Man, I was down bad. Um, got back Monday. Went to bed early Monday. <laughs> went to bed early yesterday. Um, I think I'm. Uh, uh, I think I got my second win today. Um, woke up at normal time. Um, I almost was late taking my son to school yesterday. I woke up. I'm normally waking up at about six six thirty. Uh, I thought it was normal time. I woke up. It was seven twenty. I was like, oh, gotta go. Yeah, it was. Yeah, uh, but I it was hectic back, out there. Definitely bounced back though. What was your 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 impression of, of this All Star Weekend? It was it was so much. I, I really have to say, Kenyon, the '80s were the 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 Jordan and Bird era. The '90s was obviously the Jordan era. Then it became Shaq, AI, and all you guys, Kobe, and this weekend officially welcomed in the skinny genification of the NBA. That era is here. There's no way to uh, uh, control it Not at this all. point. It's really real. It's you know, uh, we, what do you think? Of, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just feel like with that dunk contest and um, that All-Star game, yeah. I, I, I think they need to tighten the reins up over All-Star weekend. I, tighten I, I think the reins up and point, loosen the pants up a little bit. Loosen the pants up and tighten the reins. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you, man. It's... Um, <laughs> it's this new era, man. It's the new era, guys. You know what I'm saying? This is um, skinny jeans and three pointers. It's the only thing that matters these days. And, and, and you know, uh, watching the game, the All Star game. Obviously, it's an All Star game. We, we we all know that it's not going to be a competitive game. But you at least have to give the impression at times that you're playing in a game. You know, you you see all the celebrities there in the first ten rows and. All the legends there and all the, the current players and, and, and Jay-Z and Beyonce and this one and that one. And, and they're all there. But, it, but the people that paid their hard-earned, hard-earned money uh, that to, to go to the game, to travel to the game, they deserve more than, you know, the first five minutes of the ooh and an ah and of the dunks. There, there has to be a way to find a happy medium where the players can, you know, have their rest. But to give the impression... That, that that they're there for other than just, you know, shenanigans. Because this game felt like complete shenanigans. And this whole thing about, oh, we're going to give the MVP to Anthony Davis. Again, it's an all-star game. But it's not, a, you know, Thanksgiving Day parade. <laughs> I agree. Um, it's just one of these things, man, where 
where the game has pretty much become a joke. You know, um, they need to have either some some financial implications to it or some postseason implications to it to give guys some incentive to go out and play. If not, um, th- that what we were that we just witnessed on Sunday, that's just the tip of the iceberg, um, in my opinion. Um, what 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 else do you think is going to happen? Do you do you do you think that? Uh... Well, what do you think of the ramifications of this? Because what we're talking about is just a, a, a sort of a passion. You know, Giannis, I'm not even going to try to say his name anymore. I've mm-hmm. given up on that. I, I, I watched Marv Albert, Marv Albert, who has said every single name. He's done Olympics. He's, he's called games, you know, foreign countries during the Olympics. Even he failed. And he said at the top of the broadcast, I've, I've practiced saying his name. He got reamed over Twitter. So I'm just going to call him Giannis. Giannis uh, 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 um, or the Greek freak, or GA, um, Giannis and Westbrook are the only ones who seem to like play at seventy-five percent speed for 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 some of the game. Yeah, but but go long term for the NBA, can you? Sorry to cut you off. What do you think of the ramifications of of the league? Yeah, like you got those two guys, man. That's just how they built. Um, they approach the game the same way each and every night. You know, so just because it's an all-star game, they're not going to approach it any different. You know, but. It's just one of those things, man, where that's what they feel the fans wanna wanna see, and that's obviously not the case. But I think the for, the more the fans gripe and complain about it, they have to do something about it. Because you know, if it's if they're all about the fans and and making the fans happy, then I think they have to do something about it. They have to go back to the drawing board and um, definitely put some serious thought into how to make the All Star Game better for the fans. Because it's definitely fan interaction. That's what we're here for. Yeah, I agree. This is the two-man weave. It's the NBA on TuneIn. My name is Michael Rapport, Kenyon Martin, Kmart, K to the dot. This is going to be a good show. You know, the, the, the NBA is about to, tu- you know, to, to turn up, playoff implications, trade deadlines. Um, Magic Johnson has taken over the reins of the Los Angeles Lakers, which I think is good. Um, why would Magic... I mean, it was like as soon as he got in there, or maybe the the ball was already, uh, uh, you know, rolling. Can you explain to me how Lou Williams gets traded a beat after Magic got there? Would, would, do you think Magic thought like if if you know was thinking about this before he 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 got the job, or how does something like that you know happen so quickly? Sweet, um, probably, yeah. Um, probably was in the talks already. Um, probably was in the making. Um, they probably had some discussions before Magic took over. Um, but Lou has good, great value, man. He has great value in the league. A guy that can go get his own shot. Um, he comes off the bench. He's instant offense. Um, yeah, the sky's the limit for him. So I, um, I see why Houston made the move, and I can understand that that the Lakers they're looking at who do we have that that we can get something back, and they need picks right now. You know, so in order to move forward, in order to make other moves, um, I think it was already in the making. I think it just so happened the day that Magic takes over that uh, um, it goes through. They probably just pushed it on through. I believe. Now, if you're a player. Um, and Magic Johnson comes in there. Obviously, he's not coaching, but yeah. you know we know one thing about Magic is that he likes to win. He's not coming in there, you know, because he needs the money. You know, he's got his hands in quadrillion different businesses. He likes to win. You're on a, a struggling team. You're on the Lakers right now that 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 are that are young, which is which is a good thing. What does that do for morale having Magic Johnson? Like, what what do you think that does for these young Laker kids? I don't know, man. I don't know if they know exactly who, who Magic is, so to say. You know, what I'm saying? they probably mm. heard the name, but never saw him play. Never know what he was about. You know, a lot right. of these kids. They, Isn't that crazy? Yeah, yeah, they're kids, man. They're 19, 20, 21 years old. You know, what I'm saying they don't understand 
who Magic is and what Magic meant to the game and the things that he's fought for and and tried to do for the league, you know. Um, but they will learn soon. If they haven't, I'm pretty sure the people that they, are, that they have in their corner, agents, friends, uncles, tell them, hey, man, y'all got Magic over there now. Y'all should do something, you know what I'm saying? So I think they're looking at it that way. Yeah, it's. I think it's a good thing. I mean, you know, obviously I'm in L.A. a lot, and, and uh, you know, uh, everybody wants to see uh, the Lakers do well because when the Lakers do well, the NBA does well. Just like when the Knicks do well, the NBA does well. And uh, I like, I respect the fact that the Lakers. They, it's not like they've been struggling. I have no. Uh, uh, I don't feel bad for the Lakers. This team, they, you know, if being a Knicks fan and being a Lakers fan is different. Like the Lakers are so used to winning. That couple of years go by without having a star, even though they they, they weren't winning. At least you had Kobe. Um, you 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 know the the banners on the on the on the stadium at Staple are fresh, crisp, still ironed, just back from the cleaners. Uh, so you have no sympathy for me, but I I think it's you know I think it's good for the uh, for the Lakers. I think it's good for basketball. I know Magic is good, is going to bring the energy, and he's talking about bringing in uh he's talking about bringing in uh, Kobe. Do you, do you see Kobe Bryant like having any sort of day to day affiliation with with a basketball team or at this point, or does he need to like get a little separation before he does that? No, I don't think so. Um, he's he's near and dear to that Lakers organization. Um, came in with the Lakers, ended with the Lakers. Um, um, uh, he has a lot invested in that organization. And if he was to um, have a position there, I think it would have to be some something of power where he's making some decisions. I think. No, right. I, I can't see Kobe coming in and just being a um, a face. You know, he has right. to have some voice to um, adjust his personality. You know, he's a he, he straightforward. He's a he's not going to sit back and take a um a, um a back seat. Um, a, um, so if if he was to take a role in the organization, I think it would have to be something of him making some kind of decisions. This is the two man we. My name is Michael Rappaport. We're fresh back from New Orleans. I've discussed it once. I'm going to discuss it again. Uh, New Orleans, where we were staying, right in the heart of the city. I know there's there's little enclaves, enclaves, enclaves. I didn't say it right twice. There's little parts <laughs> of the city that we didn't get to explore. We were in and out. Traffic was uh, 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 incredible. It rained. Actual crawfish and gumbo. Um, yo, do you feel when you were when you were leaving uh, New Orleans, Kenyon? Like, like you needed to, like a little bit of a cleanse. Have you ever had that much fried food, morning, day, and night? I had a, you know, they make Starbucks a, a coffee. They have a special blend down there. It's called the Crawfish Olay. There's so much fried food. So I, I love my seafood, but the lobster, the, 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 the gumbo, the shrimp, this every the pancakes with shrimps and. Go, you know, jambalaya uh, eggs. It's just enough with the sh- like. Where are those even shrimps? How do they have that much shrimp down there? I thought there was a shrimp sh- shortage. Yeah, they got the same. Hey, the forms are next to each other. The the oyster form and the shrimp form are right next to each other. Because I've never seen a place where there are just abundance of seafood. Like in most places, they run out of seafood. Like there's there's seasons for certain things, and other than New Orleans, like New Orleans, they don't run out. You know, and that's impressive. They go. Did you did you feel like you needed like when, when's the next time you think you're gonna have some 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 fried shrimp? Like I, I'm definitely not having any the rest of this month. Oh I yeah, just definitely. Can't do yeah, it. I'm, yeah, I'm gonna go to rest. Probably, I'm gonna probably go to the summertime. I'm probably go to early May June before I probably eat uh, something fried of that nature again, man. Yeah, there's definitely a lot going on. I, I like to eat like the next person. 
I was very disappointed with the beignet situation, <laughs> this Cafe Du Monde. I, 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 I've now called it the most overrated tourist food spot in the country. Now I'm not Mr. Foodie, okay? This ain't Guy Fieri, Fiera, whatever his name is. But that place, they need to do a re... They need to do a revamp of the way they serve their food. Those beignets are are there. You might as well go get two Big Macs for every beignet you eat. The coffee's atrocious. My same. dog wouldn't drink that coffee. The okay? same coffee pot. It's just it's just it's just rough and rugged. But New Orleans was dope. You know the the thing that the, the thing that um uh, uh is crazy when I look look at like that weekend down there. Like you're you're walking down the street and like we walk past Allen Iverson. There goes Kevin Garnett. Yo, there's Eddie Johnson. I mean, the whole NBA, current and former, are just in this one area. I heard Charles Oakley was getting uh, standing ovations in the casino. You know, was there anybody you saw down there that you hadn't seen in a while? I mean, you you, you were in the mix. You were at special spades tournaments. D-Wade. The one person who I saw that I was a little... I don't get starstruck much. I saw Ralph Sampson walking down the street, man. Did you really? Yeah, I saw Ralph Sampson. I'm like, hey, man, <laughs> you're a legend. <laughs> you know, I didn't bother him for a pitch and all that because I'm pretty sure they get it all the time. But, yeah, man, I was a little starstruck by Ralph Sampson, man. I saw him out. That was that was cool. Yo, Ralph Sampson was that dude. Talk about a unicorn. When he was in college, Ralph Sampson was like, he was a freak, man. He was so tall and so skinny and I'm pretty sure he came out of high school with that same mustache. That did he have the mustache when you saw him this weekend? Yes, he looked the same. He was the same, same slenderness, same height, same mustache. He just had a few more gray hairs added into it. And, and, and <laughs> it looked he, like he could still like, play he's a like little lean bit. And mean, right? Yeah, it looked like he could still play. Look, he still let his playing weight. This is the two man weave coming live and direct. NBA on TuneIn. There's so many shows that TuneIn is doing with NBA personalities. The Knicks, I don't know. I'm here in New York, walking around the streets in New York City uh, uh, since the All-Star break and and the post-Oakley situation. You know, people, everybody wants to talk to me about the Knicks like I have some sort of fix. Um, I don't think the Knicks are going to trade anybody. They're, they're, the only thing that they're, they're talking about with trading uh, in regards to the Knicks is possibly bringing in Ricky Rubio, who makes Derrick Rose look like Bruce Bowen when it comes to defense. What would be the reason for the Knicks to bring in Ricky Rubio unless they're planning on just going into blow-up mode? Ah, uh, more pass-first point guard, maybe. Um, give um, 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 to give Porzingis the ball a little more, maybe. Um, a, a facilitator. Definitely not looking at it as a as a defensive stop, but we all know that. You know what I'm saying? Ricky Rubio, he's a he's a good young point guard in this league. Um, but I think it'll be just moving furniture around. You know what I'm saying to right. move Ricky Rubio for Derrick Rose. I think you'd just be rearranging furniture. Have you ever been at this point in the season where you've been on the sort of the, the mid-season trade deadline block where it was lingering to you in your career? No, I've never. Not that I know of. Right. Um, I'm pretty sure I, a couple of them years in Denver, they wanted me out of there and I wanted out. You know, but um, no, not that I know of. And I never paid any attention. I'm saying if it did come my way, but I I, I can't remember off. Off top, if there was something that ever come my way or, or if I ever heard of, like, trade rumors and this, that, and the third. Like, when a lot of guys say they they don't listen to it or pick up the paper and first thing they do is look at um, sports in the morning, like, I honestly did never do that. You no, didn't? I did not 
not one time like uh, that's the first thing I do in the morning is pick up the sports page or or listen or go see if my name is coming up and I I didn't pay attention to it because it didn't matter to me. Right. Well, the uh, the 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 rumors are swirling. I, Carmelo's not going anywhere. That's dead in the water. Um, the Knicks. Ah, oh, man. You know, it, it, it's like it's like I, I'm torn because why are we? Do you, you know why are we talking about the Knicks? I, I'm talking about the Knicks because I'm a fan. <coughs> but unless, <coughs> excuse me, Kenyon. But unless a miracle, a miracle happens. The Knicks are not going to make the playoffs. We could talk about this while we get a draft pick. Who cares? Who cares? You know, the fact that, you know, the playoffs are going to start looming in a month and we're talking about draft picks and summertime and next year while the season's still going on, it's so redundant. I'm so over it. I'm so over talking about the Knicks. Uh, It's not, you know, we're in the ninth seed. Let's try to get to the eighth seed. It's never any of that talk. It's always next year this, next year that. I've come to terms with the fact that I think that Phil Jackson does not want to be the GM of the Knicks anymore or the president of basketball operations anymore. I feel like if he wanted to do that, as much as he can't stand the media, listen, Bill Belichick can't stand the media, and even he talks to the press. (laughs) The fact that Phil, through all this chaos, this Oakley stuff, the Carmelo trade this, and all the shenanigans that we've been through hasn't come out and spoken and he just always sees Phil showing up to the games and now we see him on the buses of New York City. Phil Jackson is riding around the buses of New York City which is just bizarre and he's not talking to people on the buses. It'd be one thing if he's talking to fans on the buses like yo what do you guys think? There's none of that. I love Phil. I respect Phil but at this point I don't think there's anything we need to. You know what if I was Dolan? If Dolan wanted to win back the fans this is what I would have said. The day after the Oakley thing, I would have said, Phil, you need to have a press conference. You need to answer all questions. If he says no, I say, you're fired. You're fired right then and there because that's your job. Obviously, uh, Hornacek isn't the guy. The Knicks fans want to hear from you. That's part of your job to talk to the fans. If Bill Belichick could do it and and, and Popovich could do it, you need to talk to the fans. You're not going to do it? You're fired. Take the money, shove it, go on, and 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 regroup again because it's inevitably going to happen. If it doesn't happen now, it's either going to happen in the summer or before that. He, he I think that's what's going to happen. I think he, that he's going to fire Phil Jackson. It's long and at this it, point, man. I can't argue with him about it. It's long overdue, in my opinion, but um, I'm not signing the checks. It's not my team. But um, personally, I don't think Phil cares what people think. You know, I know he doesn't. Unless he would come out and say so. Um, he would come out and answer questions and, and things like that. Um, he feels he's above um, above the media and things like that to come out and ask questions about the job that he's doing. You know, I think he probably looks at it as, how dare you question what I'm here doing? You know, and otherwise he would sit um, he would sit there and ask him, um, answer the questions and, and be straightforward with guys. A little bit. A little bit. Like I said, if Bill Belichick, the most miserable, successful coach in all of coaching, can do it, then the New York Knicks, president of basketball operations, who's getting, what, $15 million a year, who we want to hear from, Dolan's giving you uh, the reins. Now you have to do it. You have to talk. Forget forget the press. Talk to me. Talk to the fans. People are walking around the streets of New York, Kenyon, crying. I see people crying, grown men crying, tears. You know what color their tears are? Orange and blue. Listen, this is the two-man weave. 
NBA on tune, and we're coming right back with the man who likes to shimmy, Antoine Walker, career average, 17.5 points a game, 7.7 rebounds a game. Came out the sixth pick in the 1996 draft with a gentleman named Allen Iverson, a gentleman named Stefan Marbury. There was another gentleman in the 1996 draft. I, I, maybe you've heard of him. I can't, I can't pronounce his name. Uh, it's something Bryant, Kobe, Kobe Bryant, uh, Ray Allen, Steve Nash. We're coming right back. The two-man weave, NBA on tune-in with the great Antoine Walker. My name is Michael Rapport, Kenyon Martin. We'll be right back with Tuan. Two-Man Weave continues after this on the NBA on TuneIn. Yes, this is the Two-Man Weave, the NBA on TuneIn. My name is Michael Rapport. I'm in here with Kenyon Martin. Coming live and direct, we have, this is, this, I'm excited about this guest, Antoine Walker. This is not long, no longer the two-man weave. This is a three-man weave. I feel very <laughs> confident about both my wigmen. I got a shooter. I got a guy who's going to bang it on your head. And I'm just going to pass it to one of them. I'm going to run up the court, and I'm not even going to pay attention to what happens. Antoine, how you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for joining us, brother. Now, you got Antoine, some game, you, you got say some it again? basketball game? Say it again? You got some basketball game there? <laughs> Listen. I, I, you want me I to run like it down for him or you got it? You want me to run it down for him or you got it, Mike? Now, I, I got it. A- Antoine, Antoine. Listen, if you never see me play in person, uh, tickets will be on sale soon. Uh, but if you want to look up my, 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 my highlights, uh, you, or you could just go, like, just ask around about it to answer the question. I'm not even going to answer the question. I'm not even going to dignify that question <laughs> with an answer. Ask around about it. I said you play before. I, just wanted, I was just teasing you up a little bit. Antoine, how are you, my man? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on the show. Yo, thanks for joining us. Now, you you came out in a crazy draft. We only have you for 20 minutes. I can't even go into the life and times of Antoine Walker. But to remind people, the 1996 draft class, yo, it's chock full of of, of stars. Jermaine O'Neal, Allen Iverson, Stephon Marbury, Kobe Bryant, Ray Allen, former Nick coach Derek Fisher. (laughs) Hey, listen, hey, hey, man, nothing. Hey, D. Fisher was a solid pro, man. But, I know he was. But, I just said, but, uh, but, yo, he's but, a champion. Yeah, he is. But he, yeah, I, I'm, I'm gonna stop. But, but, <laughs> but, I mean, when you got drafted to the NBA with that class, you guys had all played with each other, played against each other, knew about each other. At that time in your life, you're a young kid coming out of uh, Kentucky. What was going through your head? Like, I'm gonna be like, when did you realize? you were going to be in the NBA. Was it during the actual draft? Was it, like, in college, going into high school? Like, when did it become a reality, like, where this dream came true? Because I had hoop dreams coming up as a kid, <laughs> Antoine. They didn't work out for me. So I want, to, I want to know what it was like for you. No, mine was a little different. I think, obviously, I started thinking about pro. My, my freshman year didn't go the way I wanted to. I didn't really play a lot until the end of the season and then the SEC tournament, and we ended up getting knocked out by North Carolina in the final eight. But going into my second year um, – we were preseason number one team in the country. Um, it, things had changed. We, you know, we coach told us if we buy in, play together, we'll all be able to make it to the league, and and that's what happened. And actually, after we won the title, I was I didn't want to leave. I thought about mm. coming back, um, and it, it, I was the last one to actually put my name in the draft. I I, I tried to try to hold off because I had so much fun, and we actually you know won the title. But coach told me they felt like I could go in the lottery. It was no need for me to stay. Wow. 
And that's, that's one thing that's great about Coach Patino. He was like, listen, hey, I would love for you to stay, but, it, you know, you can get in the lottery. and no need for you to stay. So I put my name in the hat, and then I was, from there it was work. It was different, though. I mean, it's a different age. Now, guys get drafted off potential. We had to actually work out for teams right. and, and go through full blast. I worked out for nine teams getting ready for the draft. Um, I worked out from 2 to 11. Wow. So it was different when when I came in the league. And, and I remember some nice small forwards. John Wallace is in my draft. Um, mm. Walter McCarty, um, my teammate, was in, in that draft as well. And and then you had Lorenzen Wright, who was, you know, you know, God rest his soul. He was in that draft too as well. So we had a lot of good good players in that draft. So it was it was tough. And I remember going to Minnesota. They brought all of us in together and played one-on-one. Ooh, wee, I bet that was a good <laughs> Yeah, that was dope. Though. That was a good run there. That, that was a good who, who, knockout. Who, who, yeah. who all was there in Minnesota for, for those one-on-one? All, all the guys I just named, John Wallace, Walter McCarty, wow. all the best threes and fours. They brought everybody in at one time. And it was tough because they just drafted Kevin Garnett, too. So it was wow. like, what are we, up, we all up here for? But they brought us in and worked us out. And then the process was there. And then – you know, as I got closer to the draft, I got excited. I would say about a week before the draft, after my workouts, I felt like I did my job. And, you know, I just sat back and wait. Didn't know where I was going to draft. Didn't know what was going to happen. And I lucked up and got drafted by the Celtics. They traded up for me in the, in the sixth pick. Yeah, they didn't take anybody. Minnesota didn't take anybody. Though. They had all y'all come in. They <laughs> took Stephon Marbury. <laughs> they took a guard. They had all the threes and fours come in. and got and drafted a point guard. Like, Man, it was like who does that? Yeah, it was. It was, but it was. Um, I arguably, I mean, I'm a little biased, obviously, but I think we had the best draft ever. Yeah, I mean, you you didn't even mention Marcus Camby, Sharif right. Abdul Rahim. Man, I mean, you got to think about Steve tried. Nash. Got in that draft late in the first round. It was up Kerry Kittles, my former teammate. <laughs> yeah, so it was it was yeah, it was so deep. many guys in that draft. We was deep. Now you you said something about you had to be ready when you came in the league. Now one one of the things that I think that I'm concerned about, and I'm just a fan. You know, obviously you and Kenyon played in the league. This is this is this is your bread and butter. You know, you you put everything into it, and you were blessed and fortunate enough to make it in the NBA. But me as a fan, I'm seeing these guys come in. And like you said, they're projects, and they're picking guys off potential. And sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. But I don't know when and if there's ever going to be a guy who comes in his rookie year who truly is a, 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 a team changer and, and brings that sort of like you're the number one pick and the culture of the team is going to change. Now, not every year even before they started these one and done this one and done circus is that happened, but are you concerned about this like the the, the kid what what's a young kid on the Lakers name who looks like he he hasn't eaten a full meal in, in, who just got <laughs> Oh, Brandon Ingram. Brandon Ingram. Ingram. Yeah, yeah. He's a talent, but I mean like the way his body is just along along with that I'm like is this guy ready to be playing NBA basketball right now? And and it happens year after year you get these guys like 3 years later they develop, but if they had stayed in college two more years, they'd be ready to play real high-level NBA basketball. What are your feelings on that, Antoine? It's tough because it's it's a, it's a slippery slope. Because really, I mean, you got the opportunity to make the money. I mean, you know, most right. every most of the, most of the guys that are getting into the league are coming from challenge challenge backgrounds. We know we're not coming from a lot of money, and we're trying to help our families out. You know, so a lot of guys that opportunity comes, we're going to take full advantage of it. Being that we may not be ready basketball-wise. But the opportunity to make a million dollars, you know, right away at 18, 19 years old, I mm-hmm. mean, guys are not going to pass on that situation. Um, you just got to have hope you get drafted by an organization and a fan base that's, that's willing to wait on you. I mean, right. some, you know, getting drafted by the Lakers is tough because, you know, sometimes they want to see it right away in L.A. and New York right. and 
you got to perform right away as a rookie, especially if you get drafted in the lottery. So it becomes tough, but I don't think it's going to change. As long as you can do one and done, guys are going to continue to come out. Now, where it hurts you at for a lot of guys, there's a lot of guys that come out early that shouldn't come out. Yeah, they're getting drafted in the second round. Yeah, and, you know, and going to Kentucky, we got a bunch of guys that came out early, but it's guys that, you know, I look at Dakari Johnson, the big fellow we had, Archie Goodwin. I mean, these guys are not even in the NBA. You know, we don't even hear about them. And they left school early because they kind of was forced out um, their freshman year, you know, by Cal or over-recruiting and bringing mm. different guys over them. And you don't hear about these guys and you get hurt because, you know, can you know this, just like I know, I, I know I'm going pro. I ain't going to class my second semester. Yeah. So I'm already behind classwork-wise. I got four or three years. So you got to have something to fall back on and. You're 18, 19, 20 years old, and you got to try to figure it out, and you're, you're a grown man right away. So it works in both ways. But as long as it's one and done, they're going to continue to come out, and it just depends on what organization you get drafted with. And you can fall into a situation like, say, Kawhi Leonard. You get to go play with some veteran guys that, right. you know, all you got to do is fit in and you can learn. Although you can get thrown that fire. Yeah, but like you um, the key words you just used in that phrase was veteran guys. And not a lot of teams have veteran guys on their team to lead these guns, young guys anymore. You have guys that's coming in 19 and 20, and they're looking up to 21 and 22-year-olds. You yeah, know, and it's, it's the blind it's leading the blind, and they're not learning how to play basketball at this age. Yes, yeah, unfortunate now, too. And and I would even put, you know, I was tired. I stopped playing before you did, but I would say guys like yourself, Kenyon, and, you know, guys sitting at home <laughs> that can still play and maybe help a team. Right. It's about <clears throat> 25 guys that, that I could – you know, just ramble off and think that could be helping teams and be on that bench, even mm-hmm. if it's playing limited roles mm-hmm. and making, you know, big big breaks for teams. And they, they don't have it. A guy like I look at, you know, I thought Utah did the best job yeah. in the summertime of any team with just yeah. adding veterans, you know, Boris Diaw, George Hill, and Joe Johnson. They ain't world beaters no yeah, more. Yeah, but, but they, they still help. They can help. They're going to help Gordon Hayward. They're going to help them young guys, yeah. I'm saying, Hood and – I'm saying they go help all of those guys learn how to be professional. Same thing Minnesota did with last year when they brought in KG, oh, Tayshaun, right. Tayshaun yeah. Prince, and Andre Miller. You know what I'm saying that's what exactly what they did, which I think a lot, a lot, a lot of teams are are doing it, like and they need to do. Now, um, just take like um the, the Jaleel Okafor situation for instance. Oh yeah, yeah, in the streets with a bunch of his teammates at the same age. Mm-hmm. You know, if he had a guy like Antoine or myself or KG or somebody like that around, that's there that like no, young fella, that ain't what you want to do. Well, you mm-hmm. talk to him beforehand, before um, so you might not go out with him, but you let him know beforehand, like what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, and things like that. These conversations that you have in the locker room, on the bus, at the card table, and stuff <laughs> like I'm hearing less yeah. stuff that guys, stuff that we did yep. to build camaraderie as teams. Guys don't do anymore, right? You know, right? I agree. Maybe going out to dinner or playing cards to wee hours in the morning on your off day or. Playing cards on the plane, or, or sitting around and just yeah, having conversations, man. It just but they don't. Everybody's in their phone nowadays. Nobody sit down in locker rooms and stuff, and just sit in the locker room, and what they call barbershop talk. You know what I'm saying? Right. They don't right. do that. That's the this bad the two part. Two man about weave. Uh, my name is Michael Rapport with Antoine Walker, K Mart. We're in here, Antoine. We don't have you forever. I, I really would like to talk <laughs> to you more. You were drafted by the Celtics. The history. The history, the history of the Boston Celtics. What do you think these guys need to do this year? They're 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 looming. Mm-hmm. Now listen, I'm a New York Knicks fan. I couldn't stand the Celtics when I was a kid. I <laughs> liked the team with you and Paul Pierce. I liked you guys. You guys were gunslingers, in my opinion. You 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 guys sort of were doing what the Warriors are doing now. So essentially, you were the Warriors before the Warriors. What do you think Boston can do this year, based on the talent they have? 
to dethrone the Cavaliers and cut their throats, cut, rip out their hearts so they don't even make it to the championship this year, knock them out of the Eastern Conference Finals. What do you see that they could do? Really, if they don't make a trade, to me, if they don't acquire Jimmy Butler or Paul George tomorrow, mm. they don't have a chance. Um, I just think I love Isaiah Thomas. I think, you know, believe, I, didn't, I didn't know he was this good. I'll be the first one to right. admit that. Didn't think he was this good. He reminds me of Damon Stoudemire. You remember Damon? Yep. That's that's like the comparison. Yeah, like he reminds me of Damon Stoudemire so much. But, you know, he's great. But I think even though he's not a superstar, but I think when they let Evan Turner go, it really hurt them because he was a guy that can play the one, two, and three and create shots for himself and for other guys. But they don't they don't have another guy that can put it on the floor and make a shot for anybody. Not alone, you got to get another guy that can guard LeBron James. You got Jay Crowder, who you know I, I like Jay Crowder, but you got he, you got another guy. You need another guy that can actually come in and guard him, or LeBron's gonna own that series. You know what I mean? And make him work on the other end too. Yeah, so he's so gonna have to guard Paul, Paul or Jimmy on the other end as yeah, well. Yeah, so they, if they came, and I, I know Danny Ainge has all the valuable assets with the, with the draft picks and everything. I don't know what he's waiting on, but this is the time you got you got a guy playing out his mind. You got Al Horford on the team. You know, you got well, some what good- is it? What's the deal with Al, though? Like, the big summer move was Al to the Celtics. I know he had the concussion, but listen, I banged my head my, a few times. No, no, no. You know when it's always good, and Kenny know this, it's always good to be a free agent sometimes at the right time. At he right. just was a free agent at the right at time. The right time. That's all. And, and, I mean, no offense to him, he's a good player. He's a role player. He's not a superstar. He's getting superstar money. When you talk about $26 million a year, he's getting – getting big-time money, but he's not that type of player. So if you're expecting that 20 and 10 from him, it, it ain't going to happen. Are you serious? You don't think that – like, so you think that was just the system down in Atlanta? Yeah, it was a system. That, I mean, good coach, came from the Spurs system, five guys working together. If you watch when they, when they won 60 games that year, it was because they shot a lot of threes and they used to have 25, 30 assists. All those guys mm. averaged 14 to – 17 points a game. They yeah. had four All-Stars that year. Kyle Corbett made the All-Star team. Come on, man. Mm. Oh, for God's sake. And no, yeah. You know, no offense to Kyle. He can shoot it. He made the All-Star team. Well, so he's, you not got, a, he's not an All-Star. In this yeah, not in this right. league. So he's not an All-Star. It's league. just different, you know. Um, but I know y'all, I want to ask one question because I'm, I'm curious to this. I want to ask Kenyon this question because I've, I've been just – it's been killing me. And me and Kenyon had our battles and our wars when we were with the Celtics and we played against each other. I never could get to the finals because of him, but I ain't going to talk about that. We couldn't beat them. They went to back-to-back NBA finals, knocked us out. But the Kevin Durant move don't bother you? Oh, it bothers me. I'm glad like, you asked. You know what I'm because saying? We, well, we talked about it briefly. Well, actually, we haven't really got into the nuts and bolts of it yet, Charlie. I just like that guy from our era, from our yeah. era and how we was competitive. <sighs> like, I never would have thought to go play with Kenyon. Yeah, like, He'd have beat me twice. Like, we, I'm saying we beat y'all in the, <laughs> I'm saying, um, the game that y'all come back on us, right? Right. So, so just about so yeah, you know what I'm saying so we finished the series or we beat y'all, right? Imagine you jumping ship, yeah, the one that and go coming play. back on. Like, listen, man, they have your scalp in Boston. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I know. That's they would I'm have saying. your scalp in Boston because of that. No, nah, but like for me, it it bothered me, man, for the for for numerous reasons. But the, but the number one reason that it bothered me is is Russell Westbrook. You yeah, don't do that to him. And I think like, yeah, I think that you don't do that to that man. Like. Y'all been in this foxhole together, man, scratching and clawing, trying to get this thing done, and you jump ship to go with the team that 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 yes. just beat us, and that's the team that we all fighting to try to beat out here, and you go join them. Like, it really bothered me for him to go out and do that and for everybody right well, where Russ has an attitude with Katie, 
Yeah, he should have an attitude but, with KD. He but, should feel mm-hmm. a way about KD leaving. But you know that, though. It's like anything else. You Y'all went to two finals. You know that everybody on the team wasn't, wasn't tight. Yeah. But when y'all crossed that line, y'all hit the locker room, y'all was together when it's time to play. You know, Russell Westbrook is married. Yeah. You, don't, you don't do – Kevin Durant, you single. So yeah. he going to do – y'all going to be different. You ain't going to got to be there. But on the court, y'all got to work together. But I just – for me, I like to ask the older guys that mm-hmm. question because I want to know if they took it as personal as I did. Yeah, I, I see did. a lot of people – that it, it bothered me. It took the competitive – like, no offense, I love Kevin. I love watching him play. But I can't root for Golden State. Yeah, no, nah, it's – I just want I, – I want them – I don't yeah, want them to win the title. I don't want that situation to work. Because they were already good, mm, and y'all are yeah. right there on the upcoming to being able to be that team. You just beat the Spurs yeah. in the seven-game season, and you up 3-1. I just find that hard to believe. But yeah, You heard what Drake said, man. It's way more buddy-buddy than gully-gully. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Like, but, but don't you think – Whole yeah, lot well, of bull I don't know what he's talking on. about gully-gully, Kenny. Drake <laughs> shouldn't be mentioning anything about gully-gully, but let's stay focused on basketball because I don't want to get sidetracked <laughs> on whether or not. But, but, but Antoine, don't you think, don't you think that uh, Kevin Durant – just sort of one-upped what LeBron created with the big three originally down in Miami? Because, in my opinion, that's what started all this crap. Now you really can't be truly competitive except no, for the Spurs. Don't and give, they're I give, in a moglimation. No, I give but don't Le- you think – No, I give, LeBron a little, I, give, excuse me, I give LeBron a little credit. Only reason because he tried for a minute. You know, he had yes. um, Shaq come down there. Antonio, uh, Antoine Jameson came down. Um, Mo Williams came down there. So he tried a couple different guys. Nobody wanted to go to Cleveland. I mean, it's not necessarily a big free agent spot. It's not a great place to live. I mean, so – and LeBron, you know, even though I think LeBron's a great teammate, it seems like that from afar. I never was a teammate of his. It seems like his guys are very close to him. But, I mean, look, maybe LeBron's not like like that sometimes, you know what I mean, by other superstars. You know, that situation, mm-hmm. Kyrie Irving was already there. And obviously Kevin Love was in a losing situation when he went back to Cleveland. So you got to think about that. And he went to go play with – a buddy of his, I think D Wade probably he was probably close to D Wade more yeah. so than Chris Bosh. Definitely, you know Chris Bosh was tight with D Wade and they got the same agent. But I didn't mind that one because um, D Wade them the Miami Heat were in a very they were in a losing situation. They had just traded Shaq, I think they traded for Sean Marion. They were in a bad situation. Mm-hmm. I think they had one of the worst records in the league before um, LeBron went there. So it's different, right? Than going going to join a seventy three win team. Yeah. How can you help a 73 win team? <laughs> Definitely. No, I hear you. <laughs> like, I hear you. Like, like, how can you get better from there? Like, and he's having a great year. I know, no offense, he's they're they making it work, but <laughs> I just don't see how you get better. If I'm thinking as a free agent, uh-huh. as a player, and I know we, we all got pride, I'm like, okay, I want to go help. I don't think I can help a 73 and 9 team. I just don't believe they need my help. Yeah, but you just think, um, so KD, so everybody giving KD the thing that it's just about winning. I mean, just about winning, just about winning, just about winning. Like, if it's just about winning, I'm pretty sure I think San Antonio was out here trying to get him as well, you know? Oh, yeah, So who true. who has won? Boston, too. But but, but, who, but but who has won the most as of recent since he's been in the league? The San Antonio Spurs. They got pieces in place. You know, they got Kawhi. They got LaMarcus. They got pieces. Patty Mills, young, up-and-coming point. Like, they got pieces in place that can get it done. So why not go there? You know, if you were saying it's just about winning a, um, a championship, yeah, he he set the game of basketball back. He took the balance away, mm. you know, by doing that. And, and obviously these guys right now, I think we're not going to see a lot of free agents take the free agent market, I think, with these extensions that we're mm. going to see these guys yeah. sign. So we not we may not see these type of moves anymore but because um, they're going to lock these guys up and not let them get to free agency. Yes, yeah, that's the way it's All moving right. towards, man. A lot of money being passed around. This is the two-man weave. It's actually a three-man weave. We're running it beautifully. I'm the point guard. 
My name is Michael Rappaport. I want to thank Antoine Walker. Antoine, listen, man, I told you I was a fan. I've been a fan for a long time. I'd love to have you back on the show. I'd love to come on your show. You got your own show on, on NBA on TuneIn. I love what you're doing with the young players. I think you could be an influence and, and, and get these guys prepared for what it's like to, 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 to for the success, the financial success. I think it's great. I would love to talk to you about that and the rest of the season, everything that's going on with the Celtics, the 96 draft class. And when I see you in person, we're having a shimmy off. I don't think you got it anymore. <laughs> I'm just telling you right now, I don't think you got it anymore. I don't anymore. got it right now, but let's put some stakes up or something. All right. All right, cool. Antoine, thank you for joining us. The two-man weave. Me, Kenyon Martin, and our guest, Antoine Walker, the NBA on TuneIn. We'll be right back with Corey Maggetti. We're talking about the Clippers. We're talking about everything that has to do with the NBA on NBA on TuneIn with Corey Maggetti coming up next. Two Man Weave will be right back. It's the NBA on TuneIn, your home for the NBA Finals. We're back. You're listening to the confrontational front court of Michael Rappaport and Kenyon Martin. Against his old teammate, his old hometown, Kmart takes the air right out of the building. It's Two Man Weave on the NBA on TuneIn. All right, this is the Two Man Weave. I'm in here with Kate Mart. My name is Michael Rappaport, the great Kenyon Martin, the confrontational two. The Two Man Weave is about to go three-man weave again. Once again, I'm running point. Feeling fantastic about this three-man weave. I got two high flyers and one who could shoot and bang it on your head. Corey Maggetti, 14-year NBA vet, played with the Clippers, played with the Golden State Warriors, currently an analyst for Fox Sports for the Clippers and college b-ball. What's up, Corey? How are you, my man? What's up, Mike? What's going on? I'm cooling out, man. I'm cooling out here. Uh, uh, did you enjoy your... Uh, your uh, your NBA All-Star break, even though you're not in the league anymore, I know it's like you guys must be conditioned to like let your hair down a little bit during the breaks. No, I was actually there. Uh, I do. I work for the league office, too, um, for basketball ops, so I was down at New Orleans as well. Okay, okay, all right. I mean, did you have you have you get on have you got on a juice cleanse since you come back? Do you find the city of New Orleans unhealthy as far as the eating down there? Man, I know. I heard you guys talking about all the shrimp. Shrimp gumbo. What else, K-Mark? What, what was y'all eating? Hey, hey, shrimp everything. He had fried pancakes. Um, fried pancakes. Cheerios. Shrimp. They had shrimp Cheerios. Shrimp Cheerios. <laughs> Man, you no, know what? No. I, I try. I, I did go to a few of the spots and had some good food there. New Orleans, they, they put on, I'm telling you, as far as their cuisine, cuisine there is unbelievable. You can't go there and eat every single day and expect you're going to come back home and eat some shrimp at home. You no. can't do it. You 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 got I'm I'm on I'm on a, I'm on a juice cleanse right now. But let, let me jump right into the NBA, the current NBA, what's going on. You used to play for the Clippers. You cover the Clippers now with Fox Sports. Chris Paul has been medically cleared yes. to play with the with, to play with the Clippers. Welcome back. You get to face the Golden State Warriors and the San Antonio Spurs back to back. You guys played against Chris Paul with him. What does he bring to the Clippers team now? Both of you guys, I want to hear both your impressions of, of CP3s. Well, first of all, he brings his leadership on the floor. I mean, you know, being a point guard, you have to be a coach, you know, extension of the coach. And that's what Chris Paul does. Um, he makes How so? everyone. How so, though? How so? 
Well, well, first of all, being the extension of the coach, you have to see things that the coach should probably see. You have to see things that in order to make your teammates better. And Chris Paul is one of the best that does that. Any player that has been on Chris Paul team, in some, some way, they become an all-star. If it's a mm. big, if you talk about like a Tyson Chandler, uh, who was an all-star because you had Chris Paul being able to feed him the ball, not taking anything from like David West, but having mm. a Chris Paul to be able to facilitate the ball to you. You know, Blake Griffin, the player he is, having Chris Paul. DeAndre, right. DeAndre Jordan is an all-star. This all-star was because of, you know, Chris Paul and being able to distribute, running that pick-and-roll game. He makes everyone on the floor better when he's on there. Well, and Kenya, you played with the great Jason Kidd. H- how important for you – and how how much it improve and make basketball easier for you, especially because you're not a guy who, who you're, you're you're a guy who's getting the ball. Like what what having a great point guard? You've played with other point guards who like to, you know, they're, they're a little bit more reluctant. What, what did it mean to you to play with a, a real a real floor general? It um, it just makes you better. Um, it may, um, for a point guard to know where you need the ball and get you the ball in those spots, it makes your job that much easier. Um, it makes you work on the things that you thought or know you knew. Um, the things that you know you need to work on in the gym and perfect those things. and But just having a guy out there that knows how to play the game and understands the game, and I think that's what Chris Paul brings to the table. He understands the game. Um, he's going to he's gonna require that his teammates come out there and work hard each and every day. you know. And I think that's what they need. And um, that's what Jay Kidd did for our team when he came to New Jersey, and that's what Chris Paul has done for every team that he's been on so far. You know, He makes those guys better. He makes everyone <laughs> around them complete. Um, he has, like, I mean, he has like a chip. You got to have as a point guard, you got to have a chip on your shoulder yeah. too. Yeah, definitely. You know, because first of all, you know, you have other guys on your floor. And, and for Chris Paul, he's, you know, he's one of the smaller guys on the floor. So you got to have that chip on his shoulder to, right. to, to demand that confidence, um, to demand that respect, you yeah. know. Yeah, but I'm going to play devil's advocate here for a minute. Um, he's a great point guard. I'm taking nothing from CP. He gets it done night in, night out. He works extremely hard at his craft. But I think he handicaps guys to a certain degree. You know, because so? when he has the ball in his hand 85% of the time and and it's only an assist to get off the pass, there's never – more likely well, with CP you don't get a swing swing. You know, mm. he's going to get the assist or he's not. Or he's going to shoot it. You know, there's very seldom he gets a swing swing. So that aspect, I think he handicaps guys where guys don't – feel they need to work on that aspect of their game as far as the, being able to could, um, get a shot on their own and things like that. The only right. person that they have on their team that can get a shot on their own is Jamal Crawford. Well, but that being said, is as a, as a player, those guys got to work on trying to get their shot on their own too. You look at who, just the Clippers in general, who they have surrounding. You have Luke Monomute who's on it. Yeah, who's I understand the team he's on now, but I'm yeah. that's the team he's on now. I'm talking about but throughout Chris Paul's career, he's, it, it, he's it, great at what he does. But yeah, I'm trying to figure – it hasn't been anyone really that's been surrounded around him that has been a guy that can get their own shot without even having a swing-swing. Now, I get mm. what you're saying. Now, it's different. When you watch him play, like if he played in USAB, to be able to have those superstars mm. around guys that can actually get up, get get the ball off and dribble and do what mm. they need to do, I haven't seen – like in, in his career now, it hasn't been anyone else that – can do it. Think about it. J.J. Reddick. Oh, yeah, no, Catch I agree. No, no, no. They surround him with those kind of guys. Yeah, I get of course. it. I, I get it. But I'm just saying, in order for them to where they are now and for what he is now, I think he puts a lot of wear and tear on their body. He's getting older. You know what yeah, I'm saying? for sure. So to be able to get off of that thing every now and again and be like, all right, go get your shot. All right, go get your shot. And those guys don't have that. You know what I'm saying? So that's a team like they – 
just putting a team together. They putting parts together, I think. You know, but no, I'm not taking anything what from what Chris Paul has done from the time he's coming to the league to now. No, he's been one of the top three form point guards, arguably. Mm-hmm. You're in, you're out. I'm saying cool. taking nothing from it. But Corey, what do you think? I totally agree. What do you think at this point will will help the Clippers push to where they where they want to be? You know, this team has been around. You know, uh, you know, coming coming up short, coming up close for the last four, five, six years. What do you think is going to take it this year? Do they have a chance to really make a real press, to make a real impression going into the playoffs this year? With what they have, hopefully everybody stays healthy because I think the injuries have, have been their, their big crutch. But what do you think could happen this season for them to make the, the best push possible? Well, you said it right. The best ability is availability. You have to be available to play. And if you don't have healthy people on the floor, regardless of who you are in this league, it's going to be hard for you to win games. What Golden State and what San Antonio, these teams have done, Cleveland, they have been healthy. you know, And the Clippers have not been a healthy team. Right. That taken into account, you get Chris Paul back, he brings another component to their team, which they need. But as far as them trying to make it to get beat Golden State and these other teams. A healthy Chris Paul, they don't have enough to beat Golden State. They still don't have enough. I mean, I agree. They still don't have enough. I think from the the three position, not taking anything from Luke, I think he did an excellent job on the defensive end. But Mm -hmm. you can't match up. You're such a nice guy. Yeah, I'm, listen, I'm, you're I'm, such a nice guy, I'm, Corey. Listen, Kmart, I'm saying defensively he is. All right, he's he's solid. He's solid. I'm just talking about defense. But when you got when you talk about Golden State Warriors you and you four. got a man that's going to give you 30, 40, yeah. or fifty, yeah. you, you, you can't something. give give a forty and you have six points I, and have thirteen deflections. Yes, one thousand percent. That's what you. I'm. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, you hit the nail right on the head, brother. So, hey, I'm with you. That's why <laughs> the Clippers would have a problem getting over the hump because yeah. they haven't figured figured out. I think. Over the last few years, they have chances to make trades that can help this team, and they haven't pulled. They haven't pulled the gun yet, so mm. they can't. You can't be the same because every team in this league is making changes to better their roster. Right. And Golden State has has been the team that's done it. You bring in KD, like come on now, you you have no other choice for Golden State to win. And then even what 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 uh, Cleveland is doing, they have improved too because now. Uh, Kevin Love, before he got hurt, he has started to kind of find his way and find his rhythm into being a better better teammate on that Cleveland team. But with the Clippers, you know, you have to make have, – you need more pieces in order for you to get over the hump. Corey, do you, do you think anybody has a realistic chance? I mean, the anybody would be San Antonio. To Does be, the San Antonio Spurs have a chance to knock off the Golden State Warriors in the West? And what would need to happen, barring everybody stays healthy? It's, it's, I would say even with, with uh, the Spurs, it has to be health. I think far as what Greg Popovich does for the team, he knows how to beat, beat Golden State. We've seen that early on this year when they beat them the first game of the year. They know how to beat them. They have to be healthy. They need to get Pau Gasol back. You know, that's another piece that they're missing as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, but if you talk about the West, I don't think there's any other team in the West that can compare up to Golden State because they have so much firepower. When you when you look at what Draymond did uh, against Memphis, the man hit a triple-double with two points. Yeah. He right. does so much. Yeah, but Memphis the only team consistently to beat them, though. With Golden State because they, they pounded inside. They, they, they try to way. beat them up inside. They're going to play their way. But all I'm saying, I don't think Memphis can beat them. Not in seven games. Not in seven games. Like you had no. these teams, they could be Golden State two or three, two or three games, maybe. 
But in a, a seven game, I don't even think Cleveland could beat them seven games. Yeah, so my right. thing and that's is with LeBron, about, the best player yeah, on the planet. Yeah, definitely. With the whole like, I would love to see Memphis play Golden State in the first round and right. let that thing go seven, seven and, games, and, burn them out, and burn them out, and burn them out. See how it go from there. You know, let Zebo and and Big Mark Gasol and those guys just beat up on KD and and Draymond for I'm saying for seven games, and. Then it get interesting. But, but, but look if you don't it. sweep the first round and exactly. you got to play multiple games in the first it's, round, it's so going to hurt you. It, it, it's going to have an effect later come June. But it's even that, how, you how see that? You see that? What, 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 guys. Uh, what, Say it again. How, how much of a toll does that actually take? If, you, if, you're, if you're playing against a team like Memphis or a seven-game series in the first round, you, you guys have been in ground and pound series. Does it really take a toll on you? Well, K. Mark would know yeah. better because he, I mean, he's yeah. made it to the finals. Yeah, I made I mean, the back-to-back so, finals. So he, um, you understand that? Yeah, Western Conference Finals before deep, um, double, double, triple overtime games in the playoffs and things like that. Yeah, no, it definitely has effect, man. Like you, because you, you're going to play that much harder in the playoffs, and it intensifies that much more. Right. So just say if you did go seven games, mm-hmm. right? Your turnaround for the next series is you got a day to prepare. Depending on what happened yeah, with the, yeah, the previous yeah. series. And then if the other team is sitting there waiting on you, like they fresh and you coming off a grueling series, you got one day to prepare and to turn around, get your legs right, get everything back in order to turn around and try to do this again. So it's a challenge, but their championship bred, their championship creed, um, so they know what it takes to get there in order to sustain it. But it definitely has an effect on on the next series, and it makes – the first couple games of the next series a little, little iffy. So you got to go deep down and find Agreed. find that grit that you that you know you have inside of you. Um, so they can do it, but I would love to see that matchup to start the game. But it's almost like Mike and Kay. It's it's almost like when you think about uh, what happened with Golden State. You know, when they won their first championship, Steph Curry didn't have anybody that he had to check. Yeah. Mm. You know, you look at those from Houston. He's not having people that's going to manhandle yep. him and try to bump him up. Then you had Kyrie that got hurt. Yep. And then all of a sudden, the next the next year, when you have these healthy point guards in there having to go back at you, yeah. your, your gas ain't the same. Yeah, not at all. And man. you've seen that in the league. So, if, like you said, if Memphis could take them to seven games. Six, seven. And not, even if they lose yeah. and they beat them up, yeah, that's, that's that's where you give these other cha- teams in the West. And you actually give uh, Cleveland a chance to win a championship because Golden State is tired and beat up. Now, now you played two seasons with the Golden State Warriors. They, they, they always had fun crews, tough crews. You know, I've always been a Golden State Warrior fan, going back to the Bernard King, World Be Free, Joe Barry, Carroll days. And 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 I think the revitalization after the run TMC days was the Stephen Jacks, Bar- Baron Davis, Monte Ellis crew. You were up there. There was a rookie on your team named Steph Curry. Corey, did you ever imagine that this kid would wind up being that good when you were there? Honestly, no I mean, what did you think of him when he was way. just this little little rookie? Well, I tell you this: when when Steph Curry first came in, uh, one thing that I did notice. He wanted to work hard. He said, hey, Corey, man, would you mind getting them shots? Or uh, could we go in the weight room? You know, I need to work on my body because, I'm, you know, you can see I'm, I'm still frail. So you've seen him want to get better. And he put in the work every single day he was in the gym, every single day he was in the weight room. I mean, this was two times he was putting in the work. So you've seen he had that work ethic to be a good player. I would have never guessed in a million years. I would have bet – everything I have in the bank that he would have never been been the player that he is. But that's all about, and like K-Mark just, it's grit. 
that's when you have you dig deep and you got to have grit to figure out who you are as a player. And mm. first of all, when all those people was 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 betting against Steph, I remember because I talked to him when he hurt his ankle and he had ankle surgery. And I'm I'm in with him in Charlotte, and people saying that he's not going to be the player. He's not. You know, they talking about. You know, this is the player that's supposed to replace Monte Ellis. Mm. At that time, Monte was averaging 25, 26 points a game. Mm. Yeah, he was and they're talking about this guy is going to be the next and you're going to ship Monte off. So now you're looking at – you have all these playing against you. And you look at what Steph did. That I mean, if, if you don't call that the epitome of having grit mm. and willpower and determination, I mean, it's unbelievable to see what this kid is doing now. Yeah, I, I agree. Because as much as I liked him at Davidson, you never – I think it just – you know, you knew he was talented, he could shoot, but he I mean, he, he looked like he weighed about 136 pounds in a pair so of wet Timberlands. I, I'm telling you, you back then. Tell that you watched Davidson actually play college basketball, Mike? I, you know what I he did? He watched some I clips. Did, I, he watched no, I actually clips. did because of the sole, the sole reason. I was like, yo, there's Del Curry's kid, and I just caught on to him early, and I was like, yo, this kid is – He's ill, okay. and it looked crazy even in college. You know, you're playing against kids your age, but he looked like he was like, you know, a junior high school kid. So yeah, I did, I did watch him, uh, um, um, his 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 last two years, and I was like, yo, homeboy is nuts. But you know, there's been, as you guys know, there's plenty of shooters that come out of college, especially undersized shooters that don't translate to the NBA. So you know, I was I rooted for him. But then with the injuries, and then he just seemed like you know what what Corey was saying, you know, the grit, and he just figured it out. Um, this is the two-man weave. It's officially the three-man weave for the moment. We have Corey Maggetti in here, Kay Martin. Corey, you, you, I see you every now and then. You're in shape. So so if we are playing in this three-on-three <laughs> tournament this summer, because I'm thinking about getting a team, okay? Now, I'm not going to just pick you just because I know you, just because I know your work. I'm saying, like, wh- where are you at physically? And if I do get my team, like, what do you think you could bring to my to my three-on-three team this summer? Well, first of all, you put anybody in front of me, they still can't check me. Mm-hmm. And and that's with six knee surgeries, one ankle surgery, two back surgeries, just right now because I know how hard I work. Yep. Um, then you take into account it's only half court. half court. Come on, man. Are you participating? I'm, I'm, you know what? It, it's, it's been some legalities. Uh, it's been some issues yeah. uh-huh. uh, that I might not be able to participate. He's uh-huh. a current employee of the National Basketball League. I got you. Yeah, I got so you. it's a possibility that I would not be able to uh, be involved. But, I mean, I was all in. You right. know, I was all in. For You think about it. You coming in and you could play three-on-three. Three. Even yeah. that is, it's not five-on-five. Five. It's not It's not putting that, that, that wear and tear in your body. Even it is, it would be more competitive, it, too. It, it, it is going to You be. know, guys, guys are going to dig in, man. Yeah. When it's three-on-three – if you get beat, you it's, yeah. you're going to be on the same court. So you got to you got to you yeah. got to lock up. It's mano y mano. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm excited about it. At, at first, I was like, no, but to seeing the the amount of talent and uh, uh uh and the star power there, and I think it'll be interesting to see to see guys play that you still want to see. Obviously, Iverson being the 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 focal point because you know his career, in my opinion, he he he, he never. He never had his last year. You know, he had his, you know, his retirement and all that stuff, but it just the way it fizzled out to see him do anything, I, the fans love it. And now you got the Charles Oakley factor. You got Kenyon Martin's team. You know, Corey, you know what's crazy is I'm doing this show with, this show with Kenyon, the two-man weave, and I find out, like, you know, like y- yesterday that Kenyon's got his team. He didn't tell me about it. So now I said, you know what, Kenyon? That was, I took that personal. 
And, and I'll see you out there. My crew, Rappaport's Delight, is putting his name in the hat. And, and Kenyon, it's going to be what it's going to be hey, when we're hey, out there. Hey, hey we Mike, get that up. Hey, hey, how I long you to, had that team, though? Hey, I tried to explain to Mike, listen, he's my guy. Hey, well, we, hey, we in this together, <laughs> but it's money on the line. It's money you know on the line. So, hey. Hey, the eye test, I got to see him, I'm saying, get up some shots. It's been a couple years since your last um, All-Star MVP, you know what I'm saying? That's Mike, true. you ain't so going to play. So it's been you a couple years, coach. so I just need to see where your game is right now. He ain't going to play. Saying, I'm trying to make sure you just not, I'm, I'm just trying to make sure you just haven't been on the radio eating eating Cafe Dumont's beignets the whole time, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Corey, 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 no, this isn't a joke, man. You're like, he isn't going to play, is he? And you guys are over there yucking it up and joking. No, this is shit. Hey, whatever it's going to be, listen, if the legalities free you up, Corey, you're going to get that work. Kmart, I hate to do it to you. You might get that work. And, and, and I'm coming in flagrant. I'm coming in Are they giving out flagrant fouls uh, in this no, game? No, no. There's no hey, flagrants. You can't hey. foul out. Hey, when they told me you can't foul that, out, I'm like, hey, I'm all you in. Know what? <laughs> that, you know what? If, when they put that rule in, you already know if you drive into the basket, you getting hammered. Oh, yeah, I'm a foul. You getting hammered. But what they say, how many fouls it is, but you have to shoot free throws. Yeah, whatever. Like it's that. like 10 or something. Yeah. Like, whatever it is. Yeah. Go oh to the line. Hey, you hey, can't hey, foul hey, out. Hey, Mike, all it's I like know is I'm looking at you right now on Skype, and I don't think you're in shape for no three-on-three right now. I just want to tell you that. The, the operative word being three-on-three, three, okay? <laughs> they, just like you guys. I don't have to run up and down the court. It, it, listen, it is what it is. You might catch that work. This is the two-man weave on NBA on TuneIn. How are you, enjoy, how are you enjoying your post-career life, Corey? You're doing a lot of analyzing, a lot of analysts. Mm-hmm. NBA on TuneIn, Fox Sports, College basketball, are you digging it? And and, and and how does it sort of change, you know, your fanmanship? Like, are you able to appreciate the game differently now that you're away from it? Well, first of all, I would always love the game. And the same with Kenya. We, I mean, this is something we did for a long time. We put so much, you know, our heart um, into this game. And eventually, you know, regardless who's playing the lead now, you have to retire. You have to learn that it right. will be a phase two in your life. What is career number two? You've got to have a direction. Um, and what I did was – before I retired, try to to dig in and, and build those relationships around. Um, that's how I got in TV. It was it was through a relationship when I was a, when I was a Clipper, uh, right. connecting with those people. Uh, as far as what's been going on uh, as I retire, retired life has been good. I missed the game, of course, um, but I found a new path as well. Uh, being retired because now I get a chance to you know analyze the game and look at the game from a different perspective. You know, working with the league office, you see everything, How what it takes uh, for these teams to be successful. What does it take, you know, to be a GM? What does it take to to understand the business operations uh, of a team? So for me now, it's been a great uh, great way to look at the league from the outside instead of, you know, as, as a player, you know, we got tunnel vision. Only mm. thing that we care about is being on the floor and doing what we have to do our job. And so when you – when you retire, you get to see those other things. You get to appreciate people uh, more that have helped you along this path. And so uh, that's what I've been doing um, since I've been retired. All right. Well, I, I like what you're doing. I like watching you uh, talk about uh, sports. I love watching you talk about the Clippers. You know your stuff. Corey McGetty, the NBA on TuneIn. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate I hope you it. come back. You know, this is this is if you love basketball, you know, this is the time of year uh, uh, that it gets fun for everybody. And we're going to be doing it. On the NBA on TuneIn. This is the two man weave with Michael Rappaport, Kenyon Martin, Corey McGetty. Thanks for joining us. We're coming right back with Will Purdue. I have so many mixed feelings about Will Purdue. <laughs> he he there were so many dark nights 
that I had with Will Perdue in my teens and my 20s when he was with that Chicago Bull team and that Jordan and the Phil Jackson and his B.J. Armstrong and the rest of his cronies. We'll be right back with Will Perdue. Thank you, Corey. This is the two-man weave, NBA on TuneIn. You're listening to the NBA on TuneIn, your home for the NBA Finals. It's two-man weave. We'll be right back after this quick timeout. All right, this is the NBA on TuneIn. My name is Michael Rappaport. You're listening to the two-man weave. Myself, Kenyon Martin, are in the building. We're in the gym. We're putting in the work. It's a three-man weave now. Bringing in Will Perdue, all seven-foot-one of Will Purdue, how are you, my friend? All right. Hey, what gym are you in, by the way? (laughs) Listen, listen, Will. Listen, if I told you all my secrets, uh, uh, you know, you'd probably uh, use them against me. Okay, so I'm in a gym. I'm actually doing, I'm doing legs right now. I can't do, I can't do anything, but I'm doing legs right now. Little presses, lightweight, high reps, high reps, low weight. Okay? So, so just don't worry about my fitness routine. It's fantastic. I got a DVD coming out this summer, How to Get in Shape Like Mike Rappaport. It's going to be a bestseller. Is that like a six-minute video? There we go. Take it shots. We got Will <laughs> Perdue in here, four-time NBA champion, three times against my New York Knicks. Let me ask you something, Will, because I'm not going to ask you about uh, Michael Jordan. But how many times a day does somebody ask you about Michael Jordan? Honestly. Oh, on average, probably two or three times. At least, right? Yeah. All right, screw it. I'm going to ask you about Michael Jordan. <laughs> did, did, did you ever imagine 88-89, you're a young player, he's a younger player, that Michael Jordan would become what he became? Like, did you know right away when you saw him? I mean, obviously, you're, 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 you're close to the same age. Did you ever imagine that he would become Air Jordan, the greatest of all time? I didn't think he, you know, he it was like to be determined. It was like an unfinished book. You know, when I first mm. came in, that was what his third third year in the league. Yep. So you you knew how good he was. Yep. But once we started practice, is when uh, and I experienced it firsthand. Is when I realized just how good he was. Because I mean, it's say, sorry. Yeah, I was just saying. He, I mean, I, I took pride and thought I had a pretty good work ethic, but I've never seen anybody that when they come to practice steps on the floor is as competitive as he is. That was he was second to none. In terms of the drills, in terms of running plays, in terms of scrimmaging, or or is it just everything? Everything. I mean, he didn't he didn't take anything lightly, and you know you had to bring your A game every day because if you didn't, he'd stop practice and call you out. We're, right. And, you know, it's just like his thing was, listen, if I'm going to walk in here and get full effort, that's the least you could do. Wow. All right. They talk a lot about cultures, cultures of winning. You were fortunate to play in two cultures. Obviously, when you got to Chicago, Doug Collins. Now, did you see the clip of, of your former coach watching his son coach? The other day? Yeah, I did. He was in misery, wasn't he? <laughs> I mean, that didn't seem like a fun thing. I mean, that wasn't didn't seem like that was a pleasant experience for, 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 for your former coach, Mr. Doug Collins. Like, why, why would he put himself through that? Uh, that's a very good question. But that, that right there was probably his undoing with the Bulls because of the fact, as you saw in that video, he wears his emotions on his sleeve. 
I mean, it, it's, it, it was painful ahead. to watch the, to watch that. I mean, as humorous as it was, it was painful to watch that video of him. Yeah, I've never seen a, a, a now I'm a fair skinned white man. I can turn red when things go good, bad, or indifferent. I've never seen a, a white guy get that red in my life. And I'm just saying, like, if I'm if I, if I'm people close to him and I'm his son. Like, it's not a good look for anybody because at some point, you know, his son has to see that video, and now he's going to be worrying the next time we're in a close game. My <laughs> father, it, it, like, is going to be escorted out of the building. Like, he's like a crazy person <laughs> he in there. He came unhinged. Yeah. He looked nuts, right, Kenyon? Well, it's, it's, it reminded me of that movie Scanners when people's heads started exploding. <laughs> Yo. It looked like he was gonna. His eyes were gonna pop. But when you say when you say it was it was his undoing with the Chicago Bulls in regards to being the coach, explain a, a little bit a little bit more about that. Well, I mean, I think Kenny will tell you. You know, he was very emotional, so right. his emotions reacted according to how the game was going. Right. And if things were going well, he was going well. If things weren't going well, you know, he was flailing his arms and talking to the people behind the bench and mm. you know but that's the type of player he was he was a very emotional vocal type player mm-hmm. and as a you know at that point we had some young players and if you want to say immature we could say some of the guys were immature but they didn't take to that too well right and right. that affected the relationship that he had with the players as far as him be getting or being able to get the players to perform at their peak level because I don't think he was doing it intentionally, but I think he just, by some of his reactions, some of the players thought that he was, you know, embarrassing them. Yeah. Because right. of, if they made a mistake, you know, he would react and stomp his feet on the ground. And yeah. Yeah, I played for a coach. Oh, like that. I see. I played for a coach like that. And it, it was just hard for, you know, a lot of these guys, when they get to the NBA, they're like, whoa, whoa, you can't treat me like that now. I'm in the NBA. You know, if you want to talk to me, talk, you know. Kenny knows. Everybody says, if you're going to talk to me, talk to me like a man. Yeah, definitely. That's what it is. I'm a man now. Talk to me. You know, so you're just like, but that's what apparently, you know, I never saw him play live. I saw him on TV, but that's the way he played. He was very emotional. He was fiery. It, it, it had nothing to do with him, you know, trying to embarrass guys. He just wanted to win, but that, that's what you. he knew. But it didn't necessarily sense. carry over very well. Now, now I, the, the question I originally w- w- was asking you is about the culture of winning, a, a team's culture. And I would love both your opinions because, because Kenyon, obviously, you had great success with the Nets, you know, coming up short. And then there was so much talent in Denver and, 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 and coming up short. And Will, you were able to take it over the top. You, you, you know, we just talked about Doug Collins and then the former, I mean, this is before he's a Zen master. <laughs> then the Bulls hire Phil Jackson. And, you know, obviously, you know, you guys went on to do what you do. And then you had the pleasure of playing four more seasons in San Antonio. So so both of you guys, give me what – is there is there such thing, a culture of winning? Does it have to do with just the 12 guys on the floor? Is it the trainer? Is it the owner? What make what separates the difference between an actual culture of actually winning? Both of you guys, I want to hear your thoughts on this. Well, I think it's more about expectations all the way across the board. Um you know, the best way to explain it is when, you know, Doc Rivers was went from playing to coaching. Mm-hmm. And he mentioned about how that uh, the Atlanta uh, Hawks came to him and wanted him to be their coach. But he said, but if you want me to be the coach, that means you got to clean house from the top to the bottom. He's talking mm-hmm. about front office, basketball ops, the whole thing. Because as you just pointed out, he said, I want to change the culture. And mm. I think there's too many people here 
dad have just accepted losing and they just go about their job. He wanted everybody to have expectations. And I think the biggest thing with Chicago was it started with Phil, but Phil also had a guy like Michael who was all in. And you as a player, in my case, me or Scotty or Horace, if you're not in, they're going to put you in line. And if you're not in line, then they'll just trade you or get rid of you and bring somebody else in. Mm -hmm. Then I get to San Antonio, Pop's the same way. But Pop was more vocal in the sense that, you know, I'll give you a perfect example. We're playing the Utah Jazz, and uh, I had to guard Malone so that David wouldn't get in foul trouble. And they just, as you, as you know, with the Utah Jazz, they just used, used to run the heck out of the pick and roll. Mm-hmm. And we struggled with it. I got in foul trouble. You know, after the game, Pop came over to me and sat down next to me while I was icing my knees and my ankles and everything else, and he put his arm around me, and he goes, hey, your effort tonight was top-notch, but the results hurt us. He said, that wasn't oh. your best game. Mm-hmm. And at first you're like, what? But then you realize it's just a, it's, it's a caring attitude. By the time that happened, we get on the bus, we go back to the hotel. He's waiting for me when we get off the bus. He's like, listen, I told you what I, what I thought. You know what my expectations are. Now let's go grab some dinner. Right. And he, he, had an, he was able, which a lot of coaches can't do, to separate what happens on the floor and what happens off the floor. But you knew when you came to practice – how you handled yourself in public, same thing with the Bulls, what the expectations were on a daily basis. It wasn't just about winning basketball games. It was preparing you to win a championship. Yeah, and I think gotcha. uh, <clears throat> um, to, to piggyback on what we were saying, I think it starts with the owner being on the yep. same page with the president, being on the same page with the GM, and and just going that um, obviously domino effect. When everybody has the conversation on what they feel they need to do as an organization – and everybody's on the same page. I think it's nothing but success. And you started, like you said, and it starts with the head coach that's there every day. It starts with him. It starts him holding everybody accountable Mm -hmm. and making sure that everybody's going to get the best out of their ability and being personable and approaching and treating men like men and basketball players like basketball and so forth and so on. And he's been blessed to play under Phil Jackson, which he got that. And then going to San Antonio, same thing. He got that. It's a winning environment. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants to go out and do – above and beyond for the person that they're playing for, which is mm-hmm. their head coach. And, and when there's a disconnect, then you're not going to do that. You're not going to go above and beyond and run through a wall for a guy when you don't feel he has your back. Right. You know, in those situations, in the winning days in Chicago, those guys had each other back there willing to run through a wall for each other and Phil Jackson. You San know, Antonio, the same thing. And Sorry. the other thing was it's two different approaches. Because when I was in Chicago – it wasn't like we we didn't like each other, but we didn't it, we didn't have that family atmosphere. Yeah. When the game was over, you know, all fourteen guys didn't go to dinner together. We all went our separate directions. Mm-hmm. We had our little cliques, and you would get mad at guys. And and Kenyon will tell you, man, you'd have your uh, verbal uh, disagreements on the bus or on the plane or in practice. But we knew when it came time to play, we were able to put those personal differences aside. Mm-hmm. Now in San right. Antonio, it was a family atmosphere. We'd go on the road. We'd have 12, 13, almost the whole team would go to dinner together. Uh, we'd set up events, a lot like what Golden State does now. You hear every every road game, they have a team meal that right. everybody's in, and, and they assign it throughout the season. You're responsible for Chicago. Mm-hmm. You're responsible for New York. You're responsible for Cleveland. 
And that's just the team atmosphere. And, then, and Steve Kerr picked that up when yeah. he was in San Antonio. And that, but mm. that's two totally different approaches. And then you can tell, like, and that's the difference, like you said, in cultures. Like, we had talent in Denver, could never get over the hump because we would put a team together, a team function together, dinner or something, and we got eight of the 14 guys trying to figure out how to get out of it. Mm. You know? You know, and the so, primary guys. Yeah, yeah. You got guys that won't show up. Guys, I'm on my way. They come through the dinner half. Dinner's half over. You know, so it was nothing there. You know, there was no camaraderie. There was no. I'm saying we had pieces, but we were never a team. And then, and that's a valid point because I remember when, you know, we played New Jersey a lot. You when you got the scouting report and looked at individual pieces, you're like, damn, that guy's talented. That guy's talented. This guy's got skill. But we just knew. When it got to nut-cutting time in the fourth, we were like, at some point this team's going to fracture mm-hmm. for one reason or another because it, they're not willing to either make the sacrifice or they're not all in. So when it, it got tough, we knew that if we just stayed strong and stayed stayed the course, that eventually they would probably do something to hurt themselves more so than us beating them. Yes, yeah, so, so you came in with your true seven-footer, your seven-foot-one center. Right. Center. So what do you think of the the lack of back-to-the-basket guys and true centers in this day and age? Like, you're supposed to evolve as a player. Yep. But, but what do you think the lack of that guy or those guys in the NBA nowadays? Well, I think the big part of it is, is I think it affects you more on the defensive end, mm-hmm. first and foremost, because you don't have that guy that alters shots. But secondly, I don't you, you see teams that struggle to score if they're having a bad shooting night. They're just screwed. Mm-hmm because they don't have anybody that they can put into the block, run the offense through somebody in the, in the, in the post, and then when that guy starts to score, then the, then the defense has to adjust. Mm-hmm. And then that's how you get guys open on the perimeter. Yeah. I know when you came into the game and we were playing together, the theory was you always start inside and work out. Yeah. Now it seems like it's reversed. But at the same time, everybody now, even the bigs, Boogie Cousins, uh, you know, everybody wants to try to be able to prove they can shoot the three. Yeah. You know, and that should, in my opinion, to piggyback on what you're saying, that should be a part of your game. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, that shouldn't be the lead thing in your game now. You know, and I think that's what a lot of guys are missing. They chicks dig the long ball. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you know, man. So that's what everybody is trying to do these days, whether working on the nuts and grits of getting down in the in the post and, I the also don't, and getting it done. I don't think guys want to work on that. I yeah, think they, they guys. Why wanna, would they? they why wanna, would they? When you can see a guy like Anthony Davis. Score fifty-two in an All-Star game, shooting threes. Yeah, well, and, and that's the other thing you talk about on a day off. You're like, well, I'm going to go in a gym and get some shots up. Yeah. You know, it's it's a lot different if you go down in the post and work on your footwork and work on a hook shot, mm-hmm. a half hook, up and unders, instead of just standing out on the perimeter and shooting a couple hundred jump shots and be like, all right, I'm good. Yeah, I got more working for the day. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, wouldn't you? You guys both were big guys. You know, wouldn't you agree? That a jump hook is virtually, if you're a big guy and you have a, and you have a solid jump hook, left hand, right hand, virtually unstoppable shot. Correct? Definitely. Yeah. Mine, mine wasn't. My, no one could get to my jump hook. Like I, I very seldom. I can probably count on one hand how many times in my career I got my jump hook. Well, that's, and that's one of the things. That, like we talk about, there's a scouting report, and you read Kenyon is like he, he's going to get back to his right hand. He's going to get back to his right hand. But the thing he was doing, he was more like a, a, a McGuire, a Dantley. You know, if you push him off the block, he would square you up and then try to get – then eventually get you to commit to the baseline side because if you didn't do that, then he'd just go up and under. Mm-hmm. And then if you cut him off on the baseline, he'd spin back to the middle 
but he did such a good job of getting that left shoulder into your chest. So, I mean, I remember guys like him numerous times that you were just like deadlocked. I got it. I got it. I got it. Oh, I'm going to get this. And then he puts that uh, left shoulder into your chest and you can't jump, much less get your hands up. And then you're like, damn, he got me. This is the two-man weave, officially now a three-man weave. This is fantastic. Michael Rappaport here, Kenyon Martin, Will Perdue. We're going to be right back. We're going to talk about Kenyon Martin's bad boys knocking Chicago out, 88-89. And then we're going to talk about Michael Rappaport's dark nights, watching Will Perdue and Chicago Bulls just really treat me uh, bad in all of New York. Will, when you walk down New York, have you ever gotten like an egg thrown at you, an orange, anything like that? We're going to discuss it all coming back on the two-man weave, NBA on TuneIn, Michael Rappaport, Kenyon Martin, and our guest, Will Perdue. Two-man weave continues after this on the NBA on TuneIn. Hi. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Stay out of their lane. It's two-man weave with Michael Rappaport and Kenyon Martin. Oh, did Martin get that? All the way back down, he tipped in the alley-oop. The set play out of the timeout. That might be the dunk of the night. All right. This is the two-man weave. My name is Michael Rappaport. I'm here with Kenyon Martin, K to the dot. Um, and we have four-time NBA champion, Will Perdue. Um, talking about uh, what's good, what's not good. Will, I could talk to you. So I have so many different questions. I, I, I would love for you to join us again. Kenyon Martin from Detroit, Michigan. Saginaw. Saginaw, listen, the fact that you th- they, they, I mean, you might as well say Nassau County to me. I, I don't know what I know, that is. It doesn't matter, you. <laughs> I, I I don't know, but but I know you you were you were a bad boys fan. Definitely. You were a Detroit Pistons fan. Will you guys had battles with those Chicago Bulls? Infamous uh, uh, books, novels, exams on the, the these wars that you had with the Bulls. What, what's the impression when I bring up those that eighty eight, eighty nine? conference final with that Piston teams. I mean, these were wars. What's the first thing that comes into your head about those games? Uh, the fact that they, they got, into our, got into our heads and got us thinking about something else besides basketball. How so? Well, because just the style that they played. You know, it's so funny when uh, you used to talk to Chuck Daly after those years, he would talk about that he as a coach had to determine a style that they could play that would give them the best opportunity to win. And that was the style that they played. A lot of people called it dirty. We called it physical. Mm-hmm. And they felt that, you know, but the team that they put together, that if they played a physical style of basketball against a more athletic opponent, I mean, I think you could say that we were more athletic with Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Horace Grant, mm-hmm. but we may not have been as fundamentally sound as they were but they had to find a way to try to slow us down. So whether it's grabbing, holding, you know, a hard foul, whatever it may be, it was just a style that they implemented to give themselves the best chance to win. And they perfected that style. Right. And instead of teams coming in and trying to beat them with their style, they tried to adapt to the way that Detroit played. And that was an unsuccessful formula. We, we saw that for a couple of years until we figured out we just needed to play our style of basketball, which is try to run them out of the gym. But it right. took a, it took a couple of years and us watching them, you know, hoist the banner and get the trophy and, you know, just getting frustrated trying to play them. Now, the, 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 the New York Knicks also, 
something that was that was rough. That were rough times for my Knicks, man. And, and <laughs> you guys had our number. Obviously, Oakley's been in the news lately. You guys went seven games uh, against the Knicks uh, 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 that one season. We had this is when we had our true blue goon squad. We had Oakley, Anthony Mason. God rest his soul. Mark Jackson, Xavier McDaniel, Greg Anthony, who became a, like a, a scrapper, and of course Patrick Ewing. What do you remember about that New York Knicks team? And and was it more gratifying to beat the Pistons or 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 to destroy the and dismantle the New York Knicks time and time again? Well, that kind of got old, so it was probably it, it, was probably, <laughs> it was it was more enjoyable to beat Detroit because they were our nemesis. We couldn't, you know, the 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 Boston Celtics were the nemesis of Detroit for the longest time. And then eventually they figured out how to beat them. And then we couldn't beat them. You know, the best story that I always tell about uh, the Knicks is, and listen, we love to play them. As you know, MJ loved to play in the garden. I, I think it, what might have been your, y'all's worst enemy was the was the press back then. Mm. Two, how two, so? Well, two stories. Remember when uh, the one year where uh, – the, the press felt, felt it was necessary to make a big deal out of Michael going down to uh, Atlantic City the night before. Yes. And so they asked him time and time again, uh, apparently you were down in at Atlantic City, stayed really late. What time did you get home? He goes, it doesn't really matter. Now, does it? Then he went out and dropped 55 on you guys. And then they, when they came back to his locker after the game, he said, does it really matter if I go to Atlantic City or not? <laughs> yeah, I remember it, Will. What's your point, man? <laughs> yeah, I remember it. I remember it very well. I remember But the it. other thing was is that the year that um, we played you guys, I think, in the semis of the Eastern Conference, mm-hmm. and you guys won the first two games in Chicago, or mm-hmm. maybe maybe in New York. It was two mm-hmm. to nothing. And I remember Patrick, uh, after the game, just said, well, we're going to win this series because all we got to do is just win our home games. And we knew right, right then that, we, that they weren't going to win. Because they basically were con- they were basically conceding – every game in Chicago and we knew we could win a game in New York. And I think we ended up winning that series four to three. Did we not? Yeah, I think you're correct. And that was your best chance right there. Cause you had us down two Oh. Yep. And it was just, it, it just, you, the, the I don't want to say culture, but the mentality of, all right, we got this team right where we want it. They kind of let off the gas instead of saying, Hey, why we got it? Cause Johnny Bach, who's our defensive guru, as we said, would always talk about, when you got your throat on your when you got your foot on your opponent's throat, you got to squeeze down and rip their heart out and kill them. Mm-hmm. He was he was a little bit of a violent man, but uh, mm-hmm. you got his point. That's where you got to be playing defense, yep. especially then in those days. That's where you had to be in order to go out and have a chance. Like all this hugging before the game and hugging during the game and hugging on the free throw line and helping your opponent up. Like they didn't have none of that, man. No, yeah, well, that, that, that's a point. That's a point that, you know, it, 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 we've talked about a lot on this show. And, it, you know, I think fans, you know, who, who watched you play and who watched Kenyon play and everybody before that, you know, like the, the softening of the NF, uh, of the NBA. And I feel like this weekend, I, like I said earlier in the show, um, obviously it's an all-star weekend and it's for it's for fun. It's for the fans. And we can't expect the guys to even play at half, half, uh, you know, half 50 uh, percent during the game. But but you know and, and 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 it's just circumstances. But like this dunk contest and this All Star game to me was really the welcoming in of the skinny genification of the NBA. <laughs> but from what you've seen and what you've been around and the eras that you started playing and you're still around the NBA, do you? And I know the rules have changed, 
But do you just think, do you see a, a, a difference in the competitiveness, a competitiveness in the league? And do you think? Because to me, what I saw this weekend in the NBA, I feel like I'm concerned about the future of the league having that edge. You know, I'm not. I'm not concerned about that. I think they got to do something about you know the All Star game, and then when we say stuff like that. People are always like, oh, man, that's just the guys that played in the 80s and the 90s. They're not adapting. But I, I agree with you from a competitive standpoint in the All-Star game. But I'll, I'll say this to you. I, I think that the, the game has changed. I think it's, it's, more, it's more enjoyable from the general public's perception mm. because they're scoring a lot more points. That doesn't necessarily mm. mean the game is better because mm-hmm. I, I – I, I don't like the fact that, uh, you know, they've kind of done away with some of the rules that I thought made it interesting. Mm-hmm. Like what? What specifically? Like if you had one that you say, I wish this was back, what would you say, Will? I, I wish you could, you know, they would let guards hand check. Right. Because it's, it's, you know, I, I do a show in Chicago with Kendall Gill, and Kendall's like, well, the only way you're ever going to be able to guard Russell Westbrook, Steph right. Curry, um, um, Kyrie Irving, Kyrie Irving, Kimber Walker, Kimber Walker, <laughs> is if you can hand check. Now, not just grab and hold, but you got to be able to put your hands on them. So not the Derek Harper hand check, uh, or or the Alvin <laughs> Robinson hand check. You know, not not stuff like that, but just the ability to. to I, I think you've made it too advantageous for the offense. So because right. of that, I feel like a lot of players just give up on defense because they just feel like they can't play defense without getting in foul trouble because the rules have changed. I remember one year when I was uh, working for ESPN Radio and we do uh, the round table and the players come in and I looked at Kevin Garnett. Everybody knows about Kevin Garnett and I just said, hey, do you think the league's getting too soft and he's set up and he goes, hell yeah. <laughs> and that's all he said. And he looked at me with that grin on his face. But I think, you know, you're not the only one. I mean, I think a lot of people, you, you think about whether it was the Nets, the Bulls, Whoever came in to Madison Square Garden, you knew you had a. It was going to be. You knew you had your hands full, regardless of the talent level. Mm-hmm. The way they played, it was going to be physical. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, and then with the like, I think the um, the league, it's a good thing to evolve, but I think we are catering to the younger generation with the way the game is played and forgetting about what basketball is about. Yeah, what basketball is about. You know what I'm saying? Like guys who know what it is to grit and grind and go out there and, and actually compete for a job and actually go out there and at any given moment, like, anything can go down, good, bad, or indifferent. But I think it's we're catering to the younger generation and forgetting about the guys who who've paved the way, so to speak, fans fans included, you know. Yep. Those fans who are, who are age and things like that, a little older than me, you know, that, that appreciate the way the game of basketball should be played. And you go out in the streets and you meet different people and different fans and things like that. And they, man, I wish you were still playing. We missed the way you played the game. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and there's nothing you can say or do about it. Be like, yeah, I miss it too. You know. And That's right. You can, and, and it's not, in my opinion, they're not going to get that ever again. <laughs> right. You know? Right. The, that that style of play is, is, is literally, you know, it's like, it's like dinosaur. Like it's, it's gone extinct. You have to watch um, college basketball in order to get that feeling, I think that grit and grind and guys mm-hmm. going to go out and compete and still post play and things like that. And if you're missing that, I think you can go watch college basketball and that would, that would feel some of that, that, that need or that gap that you, um, that you need. I think this, the, this, the two man weave three man weave with Will Perdue, four time NBA champion, Kenyon Martin. This is Michael Rapport. 
So, Will, we're coming down to the, 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 you know, the beginning of the beginning, the second half where people, people tighten up. What do you think about this whole thing? Because I'm insulted by this as fans, and I know the players, you know, they, they have to pace themselves. But, you know, when, you know, you hear a lot of people saying it doesn't matter till the playoffs. It doesn't matter to the playoffs. Does that offend you? Like, what was, was, that, was that something that was discussed when you were playing, you know, with Chicago and when you were playing in San Antonio? And what do you think about it today? Like, you know, obviously you can't play your best game and give 250% every single game of a season. But this whole thing, it doesn't matter to the playoffs. I feel like, well, then why am I watching? Why am I paying? Why am I buying cotton candy if it doesn't matter until the playoffs when, when it's only December? Well, that's, that hasn't changed. Quite honestly, mm. you know the uh, the amazing thing is, and I think that uh, you know Kenyon will attest to this. I think the and when I say average person, I mean somebody that that hasn't been as fortunate as us to play professional mm. sports. Right. The problem is they can't take the the money out of the equation. Mm. They let the fact of what we make or what we made when we played affect how they view the sport. And they, they, for some reason, have convinced themselves that the college game is better than the NBA game. Mm-hmm. They talk about the drama and the close games. And I always mm-hmm. say, all right, let's, let's not mistake drama for good basketball. Mm. And then, then, you, then you ask them, hey, have you ever been to an NBA game? No, but I watch on TV during the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And then they hear players talk about, well, there needs to be fewer games, which I, I think there needs to be, but – at the end of the day, there's got to be a way to pay those huge salaries. So there's a reason why there's 82. And as you talked about, you can't bring the, the A game. You'll talk about the fact that, uh, you know, we, we try to bring it every night, but physically your body just doesn't answer the bell all the time. What, what do you think of that, that whole idea of shortening uh, the amount of games or, uh, um, you know, no more back-to-backs? Can you, what, what is your thought on that? How did it affect you? Uh, and where's, where's your head with that? Uh, I'm a little torn, man, from somebody that's been through major major surgeries. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, microfracture surgery on each knee, major surgery on my left ankle, major surgery on my right ankle. But I think it made me who I am, man. Like, I, I don't see the – like, guys didn't sit out before. You know, mm-hmm. so, exactly right. So guys didn't sit out before, and they made it through it. So I'm a little biased in that aspect because I, I just don't understand it. Because I, when I was playing, I'm I'm out there trying to fight to stay on the court. You know, mm-hmm. I'm going, me and the trainers arguing back and forth after one of my microfracture surgeries that I want to be out there, but I'm on I'm on time restraint. Mm-hmm. So I'm fighting to get out there now. You got guys fighting to sit out of games. Mm-hmm. And the coaches babying guys and forcing guys to sit out of games. Like, it's it's unreal to me. But And it's, it's handicapping and babying guys to a certain degree, especially right. younger guys. Like, if anybody – if in my opinion, there's only one person that deserves to sit out of games in the National Basketball Association. That's LeBron James. I agree. If anybody deserves a day off here and there, it's him. Just for the simple mileage that he's put on his body since he's come mm-hmm. in as a rookie. Yeah. Do I think he should sit out of games? No. But if he did, yeah. I'd be like, well, LeBron James deserves a day off. Well, I understand that. I agree with that. But other than that, I don't agree with – Sitting guys like Joel Embiid, I know he's had injuries, this, that, and the third, but he is in his third year. Right. He shouldn't be okay or with sitting out games. Injuries are a part of the sport, man. We all know that. And yeah. you can't prevent him as he knows. So go out and play. 
Right. If you're going to get hurt, you're going to get hurt. There's nothing you can do about it. If you're going to have to get surgery, it's inevitable. Right. But go out and play the games. And then you deal with, in my opinion, you deal with it after the fact. No, I've never been the one to make excuses. If if I was able to walk, I was trying to play. I hear you. And that's, I, I think that mentality has left the game. It definitely has. Because it's guys, basically, you played the game for the love of it, but you also played the game because you wanted to beat your opponent. Yeah. And, and you were willing to do anything and everything in order yeah. to win that game. And I just think that, as Kenny said, that's, that they have lost that desire to do anything and everything to win a game because it's not about the game anymore, as we were talking about yesterday in the roundtable. It's about a brand. It's it's about developing your future. Yeah. That really sucks, man. You know, like there's a handful of guys in the league that are going to be LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, that are going to go into board meetings. It's like not everybody just because you're you know you're 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 winning is going to be this transcendent player and you brand this and your Instagram that. I think it really sucks. And and, and you know my father, you know I you know he he doesn't watch as much sports as he used to. And I'm always like, you know, why don't you watch sports? Granted, he's 83 years old. He, 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 you know, so, so he, you know, he's an older guy, but like, he's just like, it's just different. It's not the same. And I, I hope to, I hope to God one day, because basketball has been such a part of my life since, since I can remember, since I was a kid, I hope to God one day, I don't, I don't get to a point where I, I don't want to watch this anymore. And I think one of the things that could really uh, prevent that is, is figuring out a way to make players compete, let teams have, uh, you know, you, not everybody jumping around from team to team year after year. So you could stand behind your team, stand behind your players and, and develop cultures. Um, this is the two man weave. My name is Michael Rapport, Kenyon Martin, Will Purdue. Just the, 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 the sort of the, 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 the thing of the weekend, aside from the dunk contest, the dunk list contest and the all-star <laughs> game was the uh, Boogie Cousins, Boogie in the Brow. Now, now, Will, you backed up the Twin Towers in San Antonio, David Robinson and Tim Duncan. What do you think of the chances of, of, of New Orleans? They're only two and a half games uh, outside of the eighth place. What, what is Boogie Cousins going to bring to New Orleans? Will they make it into the playoffs? And will Boogie Cousins have a meltdown before the end of this season, or was it? will he leave all that behavior in Sacramento? Well, I think at some point he's going to have a meltdown. <laughs> that much I, I, I know. I, I just think there's a lot of pressure now on Alvin Gentry to try to figure this out. I think they have, what, 24, 25 games yeah. to try to make this work. And you got to understand, they're, they're running uphill. They're not running downhill. Mm. And these guys got to quickly figure out how to play together. But I think at the same time, they got to get some perimeter shooting to help these guys out. Because if, mm-hmm. if not – you know, people were just going to pack it in and and force them to have to prove that they can continually hit the outside shot. Otherwise, it's going to be tough. Now, those guys are going to have a massive impact on the defensive end of the floor, first and foremost, but that's trying to convince them that, hey, while we're trying to figure this out on the offense, you guys bust your butt on the defense, and, hey, we'll win some low-scoring games, but, yeah, we'll figure this out. And then, you know, they like say they're only, what, two, two and a half games out? I think there's a good possibility they could get into the playoffs if they can figure this thing out quickly. Yeah, I think they'll get in this year. I honestly think with having them too, I think they have enough in order to get to the eighth spot. But um, but moving forward, I don't see them coinciding on the same team because, mm. in my opinion, they're the same player. Mm. Like well, they want to push they, AD yeah. out to the to the four spot, mm-hmm. but he's one of those guys that likes to play with his back to the basket. Yeah. But you know, is his jump shot good enough to where he can? Now, you saw a little bit in the All-Star game. 
But, you know, now he's got to work on that mid-range game where he puts it on the floor, you know, for one or two dribbles and then attacks the basket, but then can knock down that, you know, 8 to 12 to 15-foot uh, jump shot off the dribble. Yeah. I don't know. We're going to see. We're going to see. That was the talk. It, well, you got any other inside scoop, Will? Everybody's talking about trade this, trade that. You, what else you got for me? You got any inside scoop? Do you think any big trades are going to be made before the trade deadline is over, or is it is it done? Or is it a bunch of hoopla fodder for people like me on the radio and all the other people, you, you know, stammering and stumbling around? Is it is it just should we just like just say let's take it as a vacation because they're going to start playing ball on Thursday, or is something real going to happen? I don't think anything real is going to happen. I think that uh, you know. The Boston Celtics would love to have Jimmy Butler, but there's certain things that they refuse to give up, one being Jay Crowder because of his contract. And they really you know, value that pick from the uh, Brooklyn Nets because there's a good chance that could be the number one pick in the draft, and it's supposed to be a really talented draft. So I don't think that's going anywhere. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden the Pacers are talking about Paul George because he made the announcement he's getting fed up with what's going on with the Pacers and not sure that they're going in the right direction. He wants to win a championship. So I don't see why that maybe the Celtics aren't abandoning the Jimmy Butler talk and maybe talking to uh, have Danny and Larry talk about making a trade with the Pacers instead of uh, Jimmy Butler and the Bulls. Did you ever imagine you played against these these lunatics, Larry, Danny, Magic Johnson? These guys are all going to be making trades, wheeling and dealing in the summertime. I mean, what do you think those conversations are going to be like? Oh, I'm sure they'll bring up a few uh, few of their playing days throughout those conversations to try to break the ice. But, you know, those guys like to win. So the question is, is that when they come in and start talking about these trades, are they actually going to try to make a trade or are they actually going to try to prove they're the smartest guy in the room? Yeah, I was going to ask you that. So with the big rivalry, Lakers-Celtics history – and the bad blood, do you think those guys will ever make a trade, for, like <laughs> trading Lakers for Celtics? Do you, do, you, <laughs> do you think something like that could ever go down? I doubt it because the last <laughs> thing they they ever want to do is feel like the other guy got the got the better hand of them. So, um, but, hey, you know, right, mentioning what you hear, you talk about stuff like that. I mean, I remember the days when I had to guard Patrick Ewing, and he used to do those three steps, and you'd go the official. Now, how did he get from the left side of the lane to the right side of the lane and then hit that little one-foot fadeaway with the right hand and not travel? He's got long legs, Will. He's got long legs. Long legs, small feet, so he can get away with three steps? Yeah, they didn't see him. Now, Will, (laughs) you're the GM. Okay, let, let, let me just ask you this. You're the GM. You know, I'm sorry. You're the owner of the Knicks right now. Now, now you can't be biased here. I know, I know. He brought you titles. You got rings, the Zen Master. You're the owner of the Knicks. You have the keys to the car. Okay, we're we're coming to the end of the show here. What would you do with the New York Knicks right now? You got Phil. You got Carmelo. How do you fix this problem, Will? Come on, keep it real. Be honest with me. Well, I think it's time for uh, Carmelo to go to another team. Because, I mean, they basically have been mediocre for how long now with Carmelo as as the central figure? It's, it's been a minute. It's been a minute, Will. And he has value still. But I think it's time to basically, I don't know if you want to use the rebuild, restock, whatever it is, but, you know, what does it do for the fan base when you wallow in mediocrity for year year after year? I know. I know. Do you think, do you think Phil, a lot of people here in New York think Phil – doesn't care. He's not talking to the press. The Oakley thing went down. He didn't say anything. The Derrick Rose disappearing act went down. He didn't say anything. We want to hear from Phil Jackson. Do you think that he cares about making the Knicks great, or is he just here? 
I mean, I think he does because he's got an ego. I mean, he 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 would like to be known as the guy that fixed the New York Knicks. But you got to understand, as all these other players and have have realized, it's just not that easy. You just can't use the same uh, instincts that you used as a player, as a coach. Now that you're general manager, now that you're the president, it's it's a, it's a totally different um, perspective, and and it's just not about ego. You got to be, you got to know what you're doing. You got to know about the salary cap. There's just so many difficult things that you have to learn in order to be able to, you know, accelerate and learn at that at, at that position. Yeah, you hit the nail right. right on the head. I think that's being able to transition from coach to player to, I mean, player to coach to GM, all that plays a factor. Just because you're a good coach doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be a good GM and so forth and so on. All right, this is the this is the two-man weave. I got to wrap it up. Yo, Will, this is great. I would love to come on your show. Thanks for joining me and Kenny Martin and the two-man weave. We got to wrap it up. It's the NBA on TuneIn. We're going to be every five, every Wednesday, five to seven, right here on TuneIn. Thanks for joining us, Will, Kenyon Martin, two-man weave. We're done for this week. We'll be back next week, five to seven Eastern. You've been listening to Two Men Weave with Michael Rappaport and Kenyon Martin right here on TuneIn. You're listening to the NBA on TuneIn. Listen like you mean it.